The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and I am back. I can talk like a human being. I'm still not completely well, but I can actually use my regular voice, which makes it much easier and much more fun to do this. And because I want to have a little fun today, now that I have been blessed again with the power of what an old Englishman would have called speech, speech, I think I want to start with a song that I don't think Evie's going to like. This is Small Fry. This is Hokey Carmichael and Frank Lesser, 1938. A wonderful little song, and it's going to kick off our theme for today. But here is a really nice little groove of a song that doesn't get enough attention. Small Fry. Here comes that good-for-nothing brat of a boy. He's such a devil, I could whoop him with joy. He's been carousing at the burly queue. Just watch me teach him with the sole of my shoe. Small fry strutting by the pool room. Small fry should be in the schoolroom. So, it's about a, a child. Some of you watching, say, Matinee at the Bijou on TV in the 70s and early 80s may have caught this old Fleischer cartoon, and it's about these fish and at the end there's this extra verse you got your feet all soaking wet you'll be the death of me yet small fry small fry and that's funny because they're fish and so they're always wet in any case what we want to do today is something that a lot of you have asked for and it's been one of those things where the first time somebody asked for it i thought well i don't know then the second time i thought man maybe that could be a show if i was stuck and the third time somebody asked i thought you know actually that's pretty good and that is diminutives in language we want to talk about the little, the small. And the reason we want to talk about it is because it actually demonstrates a general way that words, meanings have a way of developing and spreading. They're kind of like the way neurons sprout off those dendrites. And so you have a core meaning of a word, and then it does all sorts of other jobs in the language. A word is not just a little box. A word is really a kind of an amoeba. Or really, it's a neuron. That's what I'm thinking about if you happen to know what they look like. That's how words are arranged in our brains. And so, where do we start? Well, most of us know that languages have ways of indicating that something is supposed to be smaller. We Indo-European language speakers think first of some kind of ending. So, in... Um, Italy. Mickey Mouse is Topolino. That's the Italian voice. Topolino. Well, the word for mouse is Topo, or in English, Topo. That's mouse. So Topolino, Topolino, is a little mouse because Mickey Mouse is a little mouse. Or as I once heard a very earnest Russian who was kind of new to the language say, Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse, it is a large black rat. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. In any case, Yiddish and like somebody saying, oh, little bubala. And buba is Hebrew for doll. So a bubala is a little doll. Or in English, not only can we use words like small or little, but we use that little suffix e. Like you talk about Rob and Robbie or Mike and Mikey. We have to have the life commercial for that. Remember little Mikey and the life cereal, which frankly, you know, I'm still eating now. I like the cinnamon kind, but it always falls apart 
in milk. It's a problem. It's why life never really breaks out. But this is 1972. This is the Life commercial with Little Mikey. What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. When you bring life home, don't tell the kids it's one of those nutritional cereals you've been trying to get them to eat. You're the only one who has to know. Did you know that he's dead? He actually consumed a whole bag of Pop Rocks and then he washed them down with a can of Pepsi Cola and blew his stomach open. As you can imagine, that's not true. It's the street rumor, but I'm doing my job in keeping it going. Actually, I recommend Pop Rocks on your ice cream. And yes, they do still make them. And yes, I do eat them. In any case, what's interesting about something like Mikey is that actually that little suffix has a history of its own. And what that goes back to is an early word, which of course was much longer, for child. My friend and fellow linguist Dan Jarafsky is the person who discovered that. And in this show, a lot of what I'm doing is inspired directly by one of the best linguistics articles ever written about diminutives. Dan, if by any chance you're listening to this, you're about to hear yourself translated into wacky lexicon valley ease in many spots. But you are the one, Dan if you're listening, who has taught us that that E goes back to child. And so what it means is that in a language, a word that means child might have a really magical development. And it's happened in a lot of languages. You start with child, and then child, one of the many things that can happen to it is that it can become a suffix that means that something is small, and then that's just the beginning. Imagine, say, a pair of dumbbells. On one of the spheres, the left-hand sphere, is the word child. Then on another one of the spheres, the right-hand sphere, is the word small. So we have a kind of a development. This is the way many linguists actually diagram these sorts of things. But let's say that you have that dumbbell sitting there, but then the right-hand sphere sprouts another sphere. And on the other sphere would be something that we might call dearness. And so a diminutive doesn't only signal that something is small in size, but by metaphorical inference, if something is small in size, it very often is something that you can pick up and give a hug, something that you want to pat, something that you want to lick or something like that. And so you get that dearness. And so one of my daughter's names is Vanessa and her Spanish speaking daycare teachers call her Vanesita. And that's not only because she is small, but presumably because they like to pick her up and squeeze her. She is definitely a very dear little person. Or I remember once, um, now this is like 500 years ago, I had a Russian girlfriend who introduced herself to me as Maria. She was known by people in my circles, to the extent that I had any, as Maria. Okay, and she was very much a Maria person. She had a kind of a princess air about her. But when I would call her home, if I got one of her parents on the phone, the parents would call her and they'd say, Masha. And so her name was Masha. She didn't strike me as a Masha, but Masha is what Russians would call any Maria because Masha is the diminutive of Maria. And it doesn't mean that Maria is tiny, although this person was, but it means that they would like to pick Maria up and squeeze her because she is dear to them because she's their daughter. Or in Haitian, T, which comes from French's petit. T 
becomes a diminutive. And so in the musical Once on this Island, no, I'm not going to play anything from it. The lead character is T. Moon. That's little person. The character could be seven feet tall. The idea is that you like T. Moon. Iris Steed, the leader, his nickname was T.T. because he's probably about five foot two. So you have diminutives that come to mean not only small, but they often mean dear. Dear like For example, Ethel Merman, everybody thinks of her as dear. This is in line with the recent Call Me Madam revival in New York. You know, Merman did not always shout. She could sing relatively intimately, especially when she was doing it with somebody like Ray Bolger, who we know best as the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. This is them in the early 50s singing a duet of a song called Deary. And I know that not everybody likes Merman, but for some reason, this sound to me is like watermelon pop rocks on strawberry ice cream. So this is Ethel Merman and Ray Bolger singing Deary. <laughs> Deary, do you remember when we waltzed to the Sousa band? My, wasn't the music grand. Chowder parties down by the seashore every 4th of July. Test your memory, my dearie. Do you recall when Henry Ford couldn't even fix a running board under a Chandler Six? Dearie, life was cheery in the good old days gone by. Do you remember? Ah, If you remember, remember well, dearie, you're much older than I. (laughs) Wait a minute. So, dearie, or all sorts of things. It doesn't even have to be people. So, a pig, a piggy. Now, a piggy is probably small, but piggy also means that you like the pig. Notice you never say moosey, because there's nothing likable about (laughs) meese. Or like a horse, and then a horsey. And the horsey could almost be regular size. It means that for some reason you like the horse. I had a really bad experience with a horse once, which I'll have to tell you some other time. Or you have a dog, and then you have a doggy, and then you get into objects. And so you can have a blankie instead of a blanket. And that means that you like that blanket, that that blanket is not going to smell like a goat or something like that. If it's a hair shirt or something, then you're not going to call it a blankie. The blankie is made out of some synthetic material and it's very soft. Or you tell somebody, here's your blankie, little Melvin, and so you're going to take a nappy. Well, why do you call it a nappy? Because probably you don't want Melvin to take a short nap. You want him to stay down for at least 45 minutes. You say nappy because that makes it all sound so dear and non-threatening, and it makes it more likely that this rather oddly named toddler will leave you alone for a little while. Melvin has a pinky. Melvin's tummy hurts. You play with his tootsies. This E is dear. I've seen it called a carative morpheme in some places where people were fond of making up names for things. I don't know how often that term is used, carative, but we're talking about the deer. So you start with child. That can mean small. And in general, littleness and dearness have a way of going together. There's a neat clip for this. You know that at some point they must have done a Broadway musical of Pride and Prejudice. You know they must have gotten around to it. You can guess that it was probably in the early 60s. You can guess that it was a complete and utter disaster. Well, wouldn't you like to hear something from it? This is Mrs. Bennett singing about how much she would love to occupy a house in town. This is Hermione Gingold 
and she wasn't really a singer and you can tell it isn't really a great song and you can tell but the chorus is cute because it very neatly shows how little and dear are the same thing with a cute little effect so here's just a bit of a house in town from the ill-starred musical which was called not pride and prejudice with an exclamation point but it was called first impressions wouldn't you want to go see a show called first impressions well nobody else did either here it is house in town a house in town just a tiny ooh, 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 spectacular house in town nothing very much and just a smashing house in town a house in town a house in town just a tiny ooh, ooh, spectacular house in town nothing very much and just a smashing house in town or think about Trekkie, foodie. So Trekkie, people who like you-know-what. Foodie, that term that I think I first heard it in 95, probably existed before that, but I don't think anybody was saying it in 1985. But foodie, somebody who likes good food or maybe just food and, you know, good food. And so that is dear in the sense that it's inclusive. There's an affection with a suffix like that. And so Trekkies, we people who like Star Trek and we're so happy that we find each other because so many people don't like Star Trek or we foodies, we are a club. So that's a kind of an extension. It's a little tendril extended out from this general dearness concept. You could draw a diagram of this and people have done it. So child, and then that can become small, that can become dear. But then on the other hand, instead of becoming dear, it might become what we call pejorative. So if something's small, that might imply that it is minor and or of low quality. And so, for example, even with the word little, I remember I had a one of the funniest people I've ever known. You would run into him and he would shake your hand. And if it was a situation where you had to keep going, you couldn't stop and talk then. He'd shake your hand and say, oh, hi, John, you little. And then he would never follow it up. And you wondered what he was going to say. And it was always with a smile on his face. But he did that with everybody. It's going to turn out he only did it with me. But he did that with everybody. Oh, hi, Joy, you little. And it was funny because the little could only be followed by, you know, bastard or son of a bitch or something. Because we use little one of our diminutive pieces of stuff, to put somebody down. It doesn't have to be that way. In French, it's espesta, and so you species of, it's not you little, but we happen to use little. Or it, there are all sorts of shades that you can connote. I guess this is my memory lane recording. Long time ago, I was recruited to do something truly menial in a production of Cabaret. They didn't have a bass player, so my job was to, on an electronic keyboard, just play the bass notes. What a way to spend two hours and 45 minutes night after night. I used to actually bring friends down to talk to me while I did it. But it meant that I sat through that show many, many times. And I remember one of the male dancers was in the script supposed to say to the male lead, take off your corset, as in to relax. The actor was kind of full of the dickens and a whole lot of other things. And he started saying as the show went on, take off your little corset. Now, I got where he was coming from. What he meant was you say, take off your little corset as a way of talking down to this character in a way, which is a way of forging intimacy. That was sort of, you know, let your hair down, take off your little corset. But that means that you never know 
which direction these things are going to go. And often the same bit of stuff can have all of these meanings. So, for example, this E meaning you have Mikey, you have a horsey. Now, then you have an Oki or a Limey. Now, those are relatively nasty terms. I imagine some people were proud to be Okies the way these things happen to go. But originally, that was a term used in disparagement. And then limey, you know, that's not something that you say with a smile on your face. And so you have that pejorative feeling and you never know how different languages are going to handle this sort of thing. You can have a bit of stuff that actually specifically means both small and shitty. That can happen. English is so poor in certain things. There's a language in Africa called Fula, spoken by a great many people. If you hear somebody say that they speak Pular, that's the same thing, but I'm going to call it Fula. And they've got a whole suffix that means just this. So, for example, little monkey is Bangel, the Baz monkey. So it's like monkeylet, Bangel. But then, if it's like a monkey where its hair is kind of matted and it's throwing stuff at you and, you know, it has kind of a, a, an ugly voice, that isn't a bangal, that's a bangum. Bangum means basically shitty little monkey. Or like chief is lam. And, and get this, the plural for chief, if you want to say chiefs, 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 is lambe, lambe. The B, you suck the B in instead of pushing it out. They're languages that have these ingressive sounds. There's so much fun to make if it's not in your language. You feel like the world turns upside down for a second. So, lambe, and that's how you say chiefs. But if you want to talk about some shit chief, like somebody who doesn't run the country properly at all, I'm not about to make the joke that you think I'm about to, then it's lamgum, lamgum. And that means little crappy little chief. It has a suffix just for that. In any case, you've got, say, child, and then that can come to mean small. Small can come to mean dear. Small can come to mean shitty. Or small can take a different pathway. Your diminutive might go to mean approximation. What do I mean by approximation? Well, if you start out being a small kind of something, well, and after a while, small kind of something can start to mean kind of and therefore not quite what the real thing is, but something else. So you've got a pro- – John, what are you talking about? Well, this. Haven't you always wanted to hear Jackie Gleason sing? Well, I have, and he did a Broadway musical. It was of Eugene O'Neill's Ah Wilderness, believe it or not. And believe it or not, again, this did work. It was called Take Me Along, and it was a minor hit. And it had a nice score written by Bob Merrill. He wrote songs on the xylophone. And so just think, this is a song that somebody wrote eating animal crackers and playing the xylophone. I made up the animal crackers, but you'll hear it in the song. This is Jackie Gleason and Eileen Hurley singing one of my very favorite Broadway songs called But Yours. In me you see no immature or callow youth who flits from bud to bud in search of shallow truth. I come to you with wisdom in each wisdom tooth. A little gentler, a little wiser, a little tired, but yours. What boyish grin on jutting chin could e'er replace? Those tiny lines of character that make a face 
look about a gentleman who's run the race. A little gentler, a little wiser, a little puffy, but yours. So you've come now, my hero of heroes. After making a few small detours, a little gentler. A little wiser, a little tired, but yours. You hear that verse and how nicely those words sit in the music. I come to you, no immature and callow youth who flits from bud to bud in search of shallow truth. I come to you with wisdom in each wisdom tooth. That's just that's just good garbage. In any case, in English, a little. So once again, something diminutive also means approximately. It doesn't have to mean that in every language, but it does for us. And here's an explanation of something that has confused me all the time, and it shows you that these things can go in various directions. Your language might take your diminutive and use it to be an approximative, or it might not. So I have never known what in the world ahorita meant in Spanish. So ahora, that's now. You know that even if you know no Spanish sometimes. It's one of those words that's just in the air. But as often as not, you hear people saying ahorita in my neighborhood at the supermarket. And it occurred to me about two years ago, I don't really know what that means. And it's partly because Spanish speakers from different places use it for different things. So if you're Dominican, as apparently I am, people walk up to me speaking Dominican Spanish all the time. I've learned to pretend. Then it is ahorita. And what that means is not now, but soon. And so nowish, approximative. Okay. But if it's a Mexican, and that's the kind of Spanish I heard more when I lived in California for 14 years, ahorita means right the hell now. So you never quite know. And I'm sure that people who are using it in their conversations, they know what they mean. But it's because of this regional difference. That is an example of what can happen to your diminutives, although it doesn't always happen. Ish is the same thing. And so there was originally a suffix way back on, this is my cliche now, the steppes of Ukraine, that original big granddaddy language. There was a word. It was probably roughly ko. And that became our e, as in Mikey and Nappy and Oki, etc. That also became ish. It had various fates in various languages, but it became ish. And notice that ish is beginning to be just a word by itself. It started out as a word for child several millennia ago. But now you'll ask somebody something like, well, oh, him, is he that one who's, well, frankly, is he kind of annoying? And an answer today might be ish. Or you'll say, is it one of those movies where you don't really know what's going on, but you're afraid to let anybody know? Ish. And so that means that when you say ish, you're using a word that started out being used by rapine pastoralists to mean child. Isn't life just the funniest thing? And no, folks, no show fans, I'm not. We are doing ish. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, now he's going to do a certain song from a certain 1947 musical. But, you know, to tell you the truth, I find that song rather cloying. I have never liked it. I'm not going to name it. So instead, because we're at a spot where we could use some music, you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear a 95-year-old 
Gershwin song. This is by the Gershwin Brothers. This is from a musical called Tell Me More of 1924. This is from right before George became a big deal with the musical Lady Be Good that had jazz songs in it and Rhapsody in Blue, which just had jazz in it. For about five years, he and I have been kicking around doing stuff that nobody cares about now. This is one of them. And, you know, this is a completely forgotten song and justifiably so, but it should be heard here. This is something that some woman sang in front of the curtain while they were changing the set for Tell Me More 95 years ago. It's got the word little in it a lot. It's a very cute song. It's called Ukulele Lorelei, and you heard it here first <laughs> and last. Beggar man and duke, buttermen from Dubuque. I'm a little tune, ukulele, Lorelei. Strum a little tune, ukulele, Lorelei. In my heart, when you start, there's a warm glow. What you do to me, you never will know. Shake a little hip, you'll be hypnotizing me. You're a little pip, one I'd walk a mile to see. Make the man young again throw a You've got your child. You've got your small. Your small can go to affection. Your small can go to pejorative. Your small can go to approximation. Approximation can have a little offshoot of its own. If you're approximating, then maybe you're softening things. And we've talked about that on this show, that languages have softeners. They can come, as you might imagine, from what begin as diminutives. And so little things like thingy. Let's take this thingy and put this over here. Why would anybody say that when often the thingy is not really that small? That's something somebody says when they're trying to diffuse a situation in a general way. Everything's easy. That person is also using the word like in certain ways. That person might use the expression cool beans, etc. Keeping everything kind of copacetic. And so let's use this little thingy. Or if you're imagining this person that I'm imagining, they might also say, oh, what's this dealio? You know, <laughs> why do they call it a dealio? Well, that's because they're making it small. And the dealio actually could be like a tire. It doesn't have to be that small. But the idea is that that person is keeping everything nice and smooth and easy. Languages have softeners because life is hard. The king slash queen of this is Dutch, by the way. And actually, it must be something about the land there because the language Frisian, which is the closest to English, but frankly to us just sounds like a kind of less vigorous Dutch. But Dutch especially has all of these diminutives. They use them all the time. It is, and I say this with full respect for and affection for Dutch, it's as if it's a tick. And I'm sure that you Dutch speakers out there know exactly what I mean. So you're going to have not a beer, but you're going to have a beertje, beerlet. And that's how you indicate that you're going to have a beer with a friend and you're going to keep it nice and simple. It's the way you have to say it. Basically, you're going to have a beer. Yeah. Well, if you're going to soften it like that. But we don't say, let's have a beerlet, nor do we say, well, you want to have a little beer with me? Or you might say it. But in Dutch, you do say a beertje or Christmas night, that warm, cozy sense of Christmas night. Well, in Dutch, it's very common to kind of say the best way to translate it would be kind of 
Ah, nice, sweet little fucking Christmas night. And so you say Herlake, which is, um, I guess, wonderful. Sorry, Dutch speakers, my Dutch. I used to know a, a little. Now I know, like, kind of Dutch. <laughs> Very little. But marvelously, and then avond is evening. Avondje. And so you have an evening lit. And so it's a marvelous. I think it would really be the warm kind of person who says something like, Indianapolis was a nice little fuck of a town. And so, herlek avontje. Or you get married and there's an expression that you have, hausje, bompje, bestje. That's little housey, little treelet, and a little dog. That's what it means. And so instead of house, you have house. Instead of bomb, you have bompia. Apparently this P comes in. Instead of a little animal, uh, like based is what they use. It's a beste. And so, well, when you get married, you settle down. And I guess we say something like um, you have your two and a half kids or the old ball and chain or something like that. But they say that you settle down to roughly bungalow, bonsai, and Fido or something like that. And that's just what you have to say. So there's something about the Netherlands. I'm going to hear about this. I'm sorry, the pronunciation. But you Dutch people know what I mean. You people, all of these diminutives and you Frisians. And I know God butter and God cheese is God Engels and God a freeze or something like that. Frisian and English are supposed to be kind of the same language, but Frisian has got diminutives that we would never recognize. One way of sounding that note in English is with a little bit of intonation and the word just, and just isn't about smallness, but it's interesting how other languages sound this note. So, for example, long ago, way back in the years straddling 1980, there was a black woman chef named Sarah Rawls, and there was a series of commercials. She was she was selling accent, that spice or whatever it is. And the big joke with Sarah Rawls was that she would be on, usually with some white man, and she would be extolling the virtues of accent. And at the end, she'd say, mm, just try some of this, baby. And she was always with that kind of squeak, just try some of this, baby. And that was funny. You know, like, imagine she's doing it with something like Bob knew her. I wanted to get a clip of this, but the only one online is her doing it with Sammy Davis Jr. And she doesn't do that line with him. But there were other ones with people who were like Bob Newhart if they weren't him. She said, mm, just, just try some of this, baby. And that was really funny. Or, you know, nobody remembers Sarah Rawls. All right. Remember that movie Spanglish? You know, everybody saw Spanglish. It was around the same time that everybody saw Sideways. All the same people went from Sideways down the street and saw Spanglish. This was in 2004. And remember that beautiful Paz Vega and that business of just try it on. I remember thinking when I saw that movie, that just is interesting because how do you connote that just in this language and that language? Here's the scene. And the teenager is Sarah Steele, who is probably best known now as Eli's daughter on The Good Wife. You see her in everything. Have you ever noticed that Sarah Steele is the best actor in the whole world? Here, she's about 14 and she conveys every color of humanity. And you can't see it because this is a podcast. So let's listen to a wonderful visual performance by Paz Vega and Sarah Steele. Just try it on. When did you learn to speak English? Nada. Just try it on. It's too tight. It doesn't fit. Bernice, just try it on. Hey. It's, it's too small. I'm too big. Just try it on. Uh, 
Just okay, okay. So how do you do that? You know, this business of just just try some of this, Bob Newhart. In some languages, you do that with ways that you say small. So, for example, in Cantonese. Chinese, and I hope none of you who are listening are Cantonese speakers, because here's one where I lack even the very, very shaky authority I have developed with Mandarin, and that's shaky as we all know. But Cantonese, candy, tong, piece of candy, like little lemon drop or something like that, tong. So it's just the tonal difference. So tong, candy. I want some candy, mommy. Tong is a little piece of candy. So the diminutive itself is the tone pattern. A stage is a doi. A table is a toy because a table can be seen as a little stage. Now, you use that same thing to be Sarah Rawls in Cantonese. And so if you want to say, slow, a little slower, baby, you know, say, well, slow, slow. The way that you do that is if the word for slow is man, which it is. And so man, slow. Man, a little slower. So, man, 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 man. That's how you would say in Cantonese, a little slower. That's how you do it with that, which in Cantonese means small. Means small. And so you use that pattern. That's how languages work. Isn't that interesting? Here's a clip I've used before. It's Cy Coleman's music and Carolyn Lee's lyrics. And we are in Wildcat. In 1960, and it's Lucille Ball singing in stereo, and the song is Give a Little Whistle, and it's using a little, and here it's little in this softening fashion. You know, I've done enough of these that a lot of you won't remember that I've used this before, and for those of you who do, well, you know, it's good. Once again, I like it because the lyric fits the music very well, but listen to Lucille Ball singing about little. Come on, Joe, shake my hand and tell me no hard feelings. From now on, I promise to behave. I'll pack my gear and disappear from view. From now on, I'll huddle in the cave. But if in case you miss the face they used to pester you, just give a little whistle. Ring a little bell. A little yell. Yahoo! I'll leap over fences. I'll even leave my senses, and I'll take for your sake to the air. Just give a little whistle. Say you want me, and I'll be there. So this is how it goes. This is how words really work. You start with child and look at what can happen to it. Or even if we're used to thinking of it as well, it's how we say that something is little. It's a whole lot more than the difference between a small light bulb and a big giant light bulb. So you have a body part. It's your back. Most of us have them. I don't mean any disrespect for those of us who are backless, but most of us have both a stomach and a back. Well, that means that you might say something like, well, it's in the back And it's not something that has a physical back like you have a back, but we're using it because we know where our backs are. And so metaphorically, we start talking about the back of other things. That's where you get a preposition. You get something back. Why do we put it that way? Because back is behind. It's not ahead. And so you're taking things to where they were before. Behind is where people usually tend to think of before as being. Therefore, you get something back. You back 
a candidate because of the body part. You have a back in you. It probably helps you not fall over. Well, therefore, you back a candidate and so on. Or pick up, which is a word or words that we natives never think about as an issue. Non-natives do not like pick up because of all the sorts of things that it means. It's got this massive metaphorical spread. So pick up. I'm going to pick Vanessa up and squeeze her because she is dear to me. Okay. Well, metaphorically, that's why I would pick her up from school. You know, when I go there, I do not lift her by her hair, but the idea is that I pick her up to bring her somewhere else. And then, of course, you go to a bar, and in the same way, metaphorically, you can walk up to somebody and lift them. I would not recommend it, but the idea is that that's what you're doing when you are making a romantic pickup. Or you are picking something up, and it could be a lunchbox, but it could be a big, giant, anthropomorphized germ, and that's how you get a cold. You picked up a disease because it was floating around in the air, and so you picked it up. And so where did you pick up that cold, that laryngitis that made you do a really bad episode last week? Or you pick something up like your legs. Pick up your legs. Pick up them legs there and run faster. And that's why you pick up speed. And that's why now we can talk about a process picking up or the pace of my voice right now, picking up like that. What am I picking up? Right now I'm picking up a cup of coffee. I'm going to take a sip. But that was literal. Pick up in terms of how quickly a process goes. That makes no sense. Imagine being Bulgarian and having to deal with that. But it's because of the metaphor. And you can have a pick-me-up. You know, you can have some Jack Daniels, at least that sometimes picks me up or picks me down. And that's because you're imagining yourself laying down. You're tired. If something is a pick me up, it's something that has lifted you from the floor, even if eventually it will put you back down onto it. So that is how words work. Words are like neurons in the brain extending their dendrites all out to one another and If this were visual, then we would actually show how neurons are like that in the brain. And maybe it will be found that words actually are represented by individual neurons. My guess would be that it would be clumps of neurons, especially when it's words like back and pick up or the diminutives in any languages. We'll just have to see. But uh, what is that in the back? Not that I had any part in choosing it. I think that's Steely Dan. Steely Dan is something that... Generally, people who weren't there tend not to like. I guess this makes me metaphorically a gray ponytail kind of person, but I like every millisecond of their music, synth and all. And this one is from Gaucho, an album that really does not travel well in terms of time. If you weren't there getting high to this, then you probably don't like it, but time out of mind. And so that's what's in the back, just because it's good. And I can now speak my language again And pretty soon, February will be over, and you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe, or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. The show is edited, as always, by Mike Volo. I'm John McWhorter, and yes, I do know that Time Out of Mind is about heroin, but I just like the arrangement. 